This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who do not identify as either. Ooh, I hope you can hear it in my voice. Ooh, you listening to Ratchet and Respectable. I am 38 fucking hot right now. I want to burn this whole bitch down. I want to scorch earth. <laughs> I just got off a phone call with, uh, I don't want to say it's a partner, a business partnership that I'm in. We are in the middle of contract negotiations. I had asked for something that I thought was relatively reasonable, all things considered. They didn't actually find it not reasonable. They just didn't want to do it. So the first thing they said to me was, so the first thing they said to me is it would, you know, really just, you know, take a lot of time and effort for our legal department to adjust your contract. So no. And I was like, how much time does it really take? Like, I'm not arguing with any other parts of the contract. I just want a higher minimum payment than what I'm currently receiving. So he came back once again and he was like, you know, we already have a contract and it just doesn't really make sense to renegotiate it. Like, what's the point of having a contract if you're just going to renegotiate the contract in the middle of the contract? And I was like, yeah, I hear you. People renegotiate contracts like all the time. It's really not that big a deal. Like you could do it if you want to. You don't want to. And I understand why you don't. It's a headache. But I'm asking you to because of, you know, you keep telling me that I am of great value to your company. So show me that I am great value to your company. We have an official contract negotiation coming up in a year from now. Let's move forward in good faith so that we can all continue to work together. Okay. Dude comes back to me and says, we pay you X, Y, Z. Ooh, girl, I'm hot thinking about it coming out the man's mouth. He said, we already pay you X, Y, Z, and you should be happy with that number. It took everything in my power not to say, it was the first thing that popped in my head. It really was. And I was like, ooh. It was at least four or five people on the call. Everybody went quiet. It was 10 seconds of awkward silence. And I finally said, happiness is very subjective. It's a very difficult thing to tell someone what they should be happy with. And he made like some sort of chuckle or something. And the rest of the call just remained radio silent, uncomfortable silence. And then the talent manager stepped in and she said, well, you know, I think this was a great call. And Thanks, Demetria, for being open to the conversation and blah, 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 blah. Girl. You know that's how Shonda ended up leaving ABC. The woman asked for some Disney tickets and she was like, I bring in what, like a billion in revenue to this company? Give me some extra damn tickets for my family. It's not a big ask. And that man, I assumed it was a man. I don't think Shonda ever said the gender. I assumed it was a white man, but white women can also get crazy too. But somebody, I believe we do know it was a white person. I can't see nobody black or otherwise melanated trying that shit. But said to Shonda, don't you have enough? Shonda said right then, that's when she knew she was going to have to leave ABC. She said she called her agent and was like, you find me somewhere else to go or ABC and you can both go. Find me another home. They found her a home at Netflix. She reportedly earns between $150 million and $300 million over there. Now, I wasn't asking for no millions. I wasn't asking for no hundred thousand. I asked for a little bump because I've been doing more than bump type work. Sir told me you should be happy with the number that we're paying you. 
Should I? That's not something anybody else, white or otherwise, gets to determine for me. But the audacity in the year of our Lord, 2022, on February 1st, the very first day of Black History Month, for a white man to say that shit to a black woman. I wanted to burn the whole bitch down. I had to call him and I was like, baby. Baby, talk to me. Talk me off this ledge because right now this is what I want to do. He was like, D, 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 I know why you mad. You rightfully mad. You can't quit. You can't quit. They need you. You need them. You cannot quit. I know why you mad. You have to find another way to deal with it. Maybe it's the Shonda way. Maybe you call an agent and you say, when this contract is up, you find me somewhere else to go because this shit here ain't working. You should be happy with what we're paying you. Should I? Should I? The fucking audacity. (sighs) I've been seeing this. um, It's not really a meme. It's a screenshot that's been flying all over social media. There was a woman. I think she's in HR. I haven't really been following the story that closely and had no intentions of actually speaking about it. There's so much other stuff going on. But this woman, for some unknown godly reason... Someone had applied for a job and they asked for 85000 And she had budgeted 130000 for the job. And so she, you know, told the woman, sure, you can have 85000 I believe the woman is black. Mercedes Johnson. The Johnson says black to me. Oh, no, she's definitely black. I'm zooming in. And she said she offered the woman essentially $45,000 less, which per year, like there's a significant life upgrade between $130,000 and 85000 and the woman said that she didn't, she didn't offer her what she was actually worth, essentially, because, quote, I personally don't have the bandwidth to give lessons on salary negotiation. And then her give and take away for the reader was always ask for the salary you want, deserve, no matter how large you think it might be. You never know how much money a company has to work with. I don't know what she expected people to take from from her sharing this on her LinkedIn, I guess she thought people would like applaud her or celebrate her. She posted this shit because, again, I just told you what her name was and then zoomed in on her picture. She posted this under her government name with her picture attached. She's on LinkedIn. Like people can easily find out like who her employer is. I don't know how she thought people were going to react to this. Be like, yeah, you know, yay you for saving your company forty five thousand dollars. Ma'am, you're acting like this set-aside money for this job is coming out your Bank of America account. Even if you weren't going to pay the woman 130 you couldn't have gave her like, a, I don't know, a good 120 115 something. And I almost can guarantee you that the person she did this to was a woman of color. I read that the company saw the post and has since fired the HR recruiter. Also, that the woman who the post was about saw it. And that the company has since offered her the full 130K that was available for the job, which was the right thing to do. Because this woman done put them in a PR crisis. We spend all this time telling black women to like, you know, get your seat at the table. How do you get a seat at the table when there's literally a black woman who's at the table who's going to withhold $45,000 from you because she doesn't feel like giving you a lesson on salary negotiation? Seriously? And then you fuck around in a situation like this. And I only share it because I'm not the only one. And there's a million more stories of some black woman hearing a white man tell them, you should be happy with what we're giving you. It's not what you're giving me. It's what I've earned for you. And if you're paying me that, you're making a shit ton of money. I get a cut. 
Like, and I'm one of a whole bunch of people that this company is in partnership with. I am so, oh, oh. If you don't know your worth, you're fucked. And if you know your worth and ask for it, you're fucking disrespected. If the man ain't want to do the shit, then just say you don't want to do the shit. Not at this time. Initially, they said no. I said, I'm not happy with that. Can we find a middle ground that works better? So that's how we ended up on this call. I would rather you firmly tell me again that like, no, we're going to stick to the rules of the, of the current situation. And, you know, you let me know how you want to operate from there. As opposed to you should be happy with what we're paying you. What kind of sharecropping shit is that? I, ooh, baby, baby. <laughs> ooh. I went into the call not knowing how it was going to go one way or another, but I never in a million thought that people would be like, you should be happy. Huh? Huh? That's, huh? That's, that's some new shit. I, I've heard a lot of shit. I've heard a lot of no's. I heard a lot of you're not what we're looking for. You're not the look. You're not the person. You're not the tone. I've had a lot of rejection in this career. And, you know, it's 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 what I chose. It is what it is. But you should be happy with what we're paying you. Okay. <sighs> the big news this week is that Rihanna has announced that she is pregnant with her first child, with her boyfriend. I don't know how long they've been together. I saw everything from three years to they went public in, I guess, November 2020. I don't know how long they actually been together, but we started knowing they were together. I think when Rocky gave the interview in GQ, that's like March 2021, and he was saying that Rihanna was the one. They posted pictures on Instagram. Rihanna was showing her bump. First and foremost, she looks beautiful. She looks happy. He looks happy. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. I've seen much, much, much commentary floating around the internet. And I've had some of my own about their announcement. Mm, I'll say a couple things about that. When I first saw the announcement, I had a visceral reaction. Like Rihanna was like my little cousin, my little sister. I kind of flipped out a little bit. I knew I liked Rihanna. I didn't realize I felt that strongly about Rihanna. And I really had to like talk myself off a ledge. And I was like, this is not your life. This has no effect on your life. Move the fuck on. Move the fuck on. And just to be clear, like it wasn't about like the single mother thing. Like I saw people like, oh, Rihanna's a role model. Is she? She's a successful black woman who's an entertainer and a businesswoman. But like, is she a role model? I mean, there are things about her that can be emulated, but I don't ever think that she put herself up and was like, I am this like wholesome, clean cut, whatever children grow up to be like me like yeah I'm not of the idea that adults should live their lives thinking like what will some other random people's children think of what I do your own children sure children in your family okay random people and they kids yeah in thinking about my reaction to Rihanna and a lot of other people's reaction because it's not just me I've seen it all over the internet I think back to Tabitha and Wendy and when Tabitha told everyone, she made a video saying that she was retiring her husband. And Wendy, she had some unfavorable things to say. And in her response to Wendy's unfavorable things, Tabitha, as we are all well aware of this story, gave Wendy so much grace and a light read, a drag really. But she was like, I feel so bad for you. The gist of her message was, is that you've been through so much negative shit that when you hear something positive, 
that someone has done for their partner, you can't even fathom the goodness in it. Tabitha also was like, you need help. If your initial reaction to hearing good news is to think the worst. She didn't say it flat out, but she heavily implied it. That your reaction is more about you than anybody else. And when she said that at the time, I came on the podcast and was like, look, she got a point. She got a point. I hear and receive that. And I also think that that might be something that I need to apply to myself when it comes to Rihanna and ASAP Rocky. Why did I see a baby announcement in which two people look deliriously happy and have a visceral negative reaction to it? Is it because I'm a hater? I might be. And it's not because like I want a baby. Like I wouldn't know what the fuck to do with the baby. I've never changed a diaper in my life. I, I have never desired to have children. It's not that. Is it her happiness? I'm actually like, I'm not a 10. I'm like coasting around like a good like, you know, 8, 8.5. Like I'm going to the gym every day. Like I've been writing. Like I feel very purposeful. I've been, you know, hanging out with friends. Like I feel very like good and purposeful right now. It's not that. Is it like having a dude? I intentionally don't have one right now. It's not that. But could I be hating on something else? I don't know. Maybe. Because again, I had a visceral negative reaction to seeing that post. Not that I wasn't happy for Rihanna and her being pregnant. The visceral reaction is about ASAP. That said. That said. I wonder sometimes though, if we confuse hating with the discernment that comes with living some life and knowing the difference between a piccolo player and a motherfucker. Maybe, maybe there are people among us who look at ASAP Rocky and see the fuck boy written on him. And maybe it's not because they're hating on someone's happiness. And maybe it's because they've seen fuck boys up close and personal in their lives and they know one when they see one. Over here is a piccolo player. Over there is a motherfucker. If you've lived enough life, you start to notice the difference. I'm just saying. One of my readers put it in a really succinct way. And she said, I'm happy for Rihanna as long as she is happy. And if she is not happy, tell sis she can always come home. We gonna leave the light on. I think that's the most respectful way that I can share my thoughts on what I think about their situation. She happy, I'm happy. She not happy. If ASAP fuck around and pull a Jermaine Dupree, come on home, sis. We'll leave the light on. And if you don't want to come home to us, go home to Barbados. They definitely turn out the lights on your ass. You're a national hero. He's Bayesian too. I don't think they care about him as much as they care about her. I'm going to move along now. We just mentioned Janet Jackson. I guess we need to talk a little more about that documentary. The last time we spoke, I had not seen the documentary. I had tried to watch the documentary. I did recaps for both nights on my my Instagram and Facebook pages. So I'm not going to regurgitate too much. My overall thoughts on it were, I wish it had been on another network. And there's nothing wrong with Lifetime. Let me just say that, right? Like Lifetime is what it is. But I feel for someone like Janet Jackson... You need like the A-list treatment. And when I say A-list treatment, I'm thinking about that 10-part Michael Jordan documentary, or I'm thinking about the I, Tina documentary, or I'm thinking about like Quincy Jones's documentary, 
or hell, even like Clarence Avant, the Black Godfather. I'm thinking about his documentary. I think Janet Jackson should have had something on that level. When I wrote my review, I was like, she needed HBO Max treatment. And I literally just meant HBO Max treatment in terms of the way they do really good documentaries and the clear budget spent. Many people pointed out to me that like Janet would never do HBO because they ran that documentary about her brother being a pedophile. And I was like, true, true, true. And they were like, and she's not going to do Oprah because, you know, Oprah was a part of the HBO documentary. And I was like, true, true, true. And she's not going to do Showtime because Showtime is in the Viacom family. And I was like, true, true, true. And they were like, and if she was going to go to Netflix, which I think is who did the Jordan documentary, Netflix would have spent a ton of money. But Netflix is going to want them juicy, juicy, juicy details that Miss Jackson ain't willing to share. They were like, she's a notoriously private person. The woman been married. How many times? We only found out about two of them when she was divorcing them. She does not put her business out there. And in between... I guess, albums and projects, we really don't see Janet Jackson like that. Surely she goes out to eat. Surely she leaves her house, but we never see Janet Jackson. Every once in a while, they'll catch her walking down the street in London. But I mean, literally, I think that happened once. We don't see Janet unless Janet wants to be seen, which I respect. But to that point, she was never going to do a Netflix or even an Apple, who also has a big budget. They're going to require her to give up more than she wants to give. Lifetime, on the other hand, it's just happy to have Janet fucking Jackson. If you watch the documentary for the commercials, Lifetime is running stuff like single black female, female, which, you know, looks entertaining enough, but it's very like, you know, Lifetime budget, drama filled. They're running stuff for K. Michelle's new show about plastic surgery. And it's an interesting show. It's not a bad show. My complaint was not that it was bad. It was not that the stories were not compelling. It was that... It was too goddamn graphic, even for me, who like, you know, can handle a bunch of gore. But I was like, oh my God, I can't watch this shit. This is all. Janet Jackson is like the Janet MF Jackson. Like she's, she's a black icon. She and Kay Michelle should not be on equal footing. It just didn't feel like it was, like it was worthy of her. And then many people pointed out and they were like, look, Lifetime was going to be happy to take that footage. They were going to be happy to take whatever documentary that she gave them because they know what a jewel it is to have Janet Jackson. It does amazing for Lifetime's roster. It does amazing for the branding of Lifetime. The branding of Janet Jackson? Luckily, her branding is strong enough over many enough decades, plural, that it's not going to impact the way that people think of her. In in fact, people like me will look at it and say, Janet Jackson deserves better, not Janet Jackson's brand is diluted because that's how strong her branding and legacy is. I don't know. I just thought that the whole documentary deserved a whole lot more or deserved a different kind of marketing. I think Lifetime also could have said behind the scenes or never seen before footage of the Jackson family as narrated by Janet Jackson. And I feel people would have tuned in just the same way as opposed to four part documentary where Janet tells all and Janet. What does she tell exactly? We didn't get like definitive answers on any of like the big stuff. Janet. Did you or did you not have a baby with the DeBarge boy? It's a yes or no question. She ain't answer it. I would never keep a child from their father. Okay. Does a baby exist or not? Janet, what happened at the Super Bowl? Justin and I have moved on. We're friends. Okay. 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 What happened? 
Like, was it planned that you would show your titty? And mind you, Tyler Perry was on there cursing and he was like, it's just a fucking titty. I agree with Tyler Perry. It's just a fucking titty. But man, did you intentionally show it or not? It's been 20 years. Everyone has moved on from the titty incident. But did you intentionally show it or not? What was the backstory on to how your titty ended up exposed? Like we know that Justin ripped off a piece of your outfit. Did you know that that was going to happen or not? Was there another plan in place or not? Did something go wrong or not? In your own words. Can you share on your four-part documentary? No? Why are we watching four parts of a documentary? It was great to see the home footage, though, especially of, like, her and Michael sitting in the bedroom together working on screen. But just to see two of the biggest superstars, I was going to say pop entertainers, global superstars, but just to see them, like, he's sitting on the bed, she kneeling on the floor, on the bed, typing on an old-fashioned laptop, which is probably state-of-the-art at the time, in fairness. His room, I thought they must have been at Catherine's house because it looked like it looked like grandma's house. But then they very clearly said, like, you know, Michael Jackson's New York City apartment. I was like, sir, you're a hoarder. But just to see like those behind the scenes details of like two of the biggest pop stars in the world. And this is how y'all came up with this, like, you know, mega huge song and this video that cost seven million dollars, which I was like, that's a lot of money now and then for a video. And I was like, I mean, it was good. It was really good. But was it seven million dollars good? And then folks were like, we should just be happy with, you know, what Janet gave us. And I'm like, "Ah." I guess I just, I wish it was marketed different because my expectations just weren't met. Them saying it's a documentary. I'm like, oh, okay. We about to get some tea. And I don't mean like you got to tell all the tea, but I mean, just, can you address yes or no with like, did you or did you not have this baby? What happened at the Super Bowl? She did tell us why, or I guess Jermaine told us why he and Janet broke up. Cheated on Janet Jackson. You wouldn't give time or energy to Janet fucking Jackson. You were in the studio, which look, I like a man that likes to work. Jermaine being like, I was in the studio making music because I'm a musician and this is my passion. I understand that. Be in the studio working. But she was like, he would be in the studio all night working and then leave and want to go to the club. You got Janet Jackson sitting in your house. Janet Jackson on speed dial who answers your fucking phone. Janet Jackson probably has a special ringtone just for you. And you want to not just be in the studio all fucking day, but be in the studio all day and all night. And when you done, leave and go to the club instead of trying to cupcake or make love to Janet Jackson. Sir, you deserve to be lonely for life. You fumbled that bag. And then he sat there and explained. He was like, yeah, you know, I cheated. And then started laughing. I'm like, sir, that's not cute. And I said when I wrote about this online, and I said it as respectfully as I could, because I don't like to talk about folks' appearance, because I think it's petty and it's shallow and it's immature. But I said, sir must not have no mirrors in his house so he could reflect upon himself. And I mean that about his outside, and I mean that about his inside. Because I was like, sir, look at you and look at her. Look at you and look at her. Look at you and look at her. One of these things is not like the other. He said he was with Janet Jackson. He was like, so many other women wanted him and he just ain't know what to do. Sir, sir, they still didn't want you. The dude is fucking Janet Jackson is also fucking me. So I must be as hot as Janet. I mean, it's a weird logic mindset, but that's what it was. It was never about you. And you got money you could spend. It's about your money. It's not about you. Because again, look at you and look at them. Look at you and look at her. Sir, 
From here on out, Jermaine Dupree is going to be like exhibit A. When people be like, get you an ugly man and they treat you better. They're going to bring up Jermaine Dupree and be like, uh-uh. Because see how Jermaine did Janet? Jay-Z got to be somewhere thanking his lucky stars Jermaine did that shit to take the heat off him. Because he been in the exhibit for a really long time. He need to send Jermaine flowers or some shit. Can you tell I'm still mad? <laughs> I'm so mad. It's not Jermaine Dupree fault. I'm just mad. <laughs> he still shouldn't have done that dumb shit. But I shouldn't be talking this reckless about Jermaine Dupree. Even though he did fumble the bag on Janet fucking Jackson. I swear. ASAP Rocky fuck. Oh, move along. Move along. Move along. Just move along. <sighs> what else do we have to talk about? Oh, this Joe Rogan situation. Well, it was a situation, but Joe Rogan apologized. We'll do a quick recap of it just because it was interesting, but it's come to a close now. So Joe Rogan is going on his podcast and Joe Rogan, I've mentioned him a couple of times. He is the number one podcaster on Spotify. They signed him to an $100 million deal. I don't know over how many years it was. I've read tons of articles about it. Nobody ever says like how long the deal is. Is it five years? Is it 10 years? Is it 20 years? But they signed a man to a $100 million deal on Spotify. He does an episode five days a week. He has 11 million streams per episode. So he is a juggernaut and he is a force. On his podcast, Joe Rogan has been interviewing people who give inaccurate information about COVID. Now, if you remember a few months ago, Nicki Minaj got on Twitter and said some dumb shit about her cousin. Did he get like shriveled balls? Something happened to his balls because of COVID or because of the COVID vaccine. Like it was a mess. Three different governments. I want to say it was America and Trinidad. It might have been Canada or the UK. I can't remember. But three different governments got involved because Nicki Minaj has this huge global audience who hang on her every word. And because of the size of her audience, her spreading misinformation about COVID becomes a public health hazard. The same thing occurred when Joe Rogan puts up a podcast episode with people who are spreading misinformation about COVID. So Neil Young, it's an old time singer. Don't ask me to name a single Neil Young song. Old white people love Neil Young though. And he's a cultural force. Neil Young gets wind of this Joe Rogan situation. And so he tells Spotify, he was like, I don't want to be on a platform with Joe Rogan who is spreading misinformation about COVID. Take me off your platform. Spotify was like, I mean, we don't want you to go, but if that's how you feel, then you can go. People, again, love Neil Young. In response to them removing Neil Young, people started deleting their Spotify accounts. Joni Mitchell, who I only know because of the Janet Jackson song, but Joni Mitchell also catches wind of this and was like, oh no, I stand with Neil Young. Take my music down too. There was another guy, real popular white guy, never heard his name before in my life, but apparently old white people love him too. He was like, take my music off Spotify. So many people had started taking their music off Spotify. This Spotify stock started dropping to the tune of 25%, around $4 billion. Oh, also Brene Brown. I don't really know Brene Brown's work like that, except that she wrote a book with my friend Tarana. Me too, Tarana. Tarana Burke. She came on the show to talk about the book that she wrote with Brene Brown. Brene Brown also has a deal with Spotify. I could not find the amount, but she got a massive following. 
I don't know if it's as big as Joe Rogan's, but she has a massive following and Spotify paid her good American USD dollars in dineros. She was like, I'm not doing a new episode until Spotify either deplatforms Joe Rogan or addresses this COVID issue. Like enough is enough. You cannot give a platform to someone who's spreading misinformation about COVID during a global pandemic. It's irresponsible. That's like four major white people, 25% drop in stock, and the value of the company tanks by $4 billion. So this was like, I want to say Sunday night. I was waiting to see what's going to happen next with Joe Rogan, because them losing $4 billion in the worth of their company, I mean, Joe Rogan's $100 million sounds like a big number until you talk about losing $4 billion. So I didn't know what was going to happen. After the $4 billion started being reported, the head of Spotify came out and said they were going to issue new guidelines for how they dealt with podcasters speaking about COVID. They also said that they weren't going to apply censorship to people on their platform, but they would give some sort of language about COVID on podcasts. So I was like, okay, like you're trying to mitigate the issue. I was still waiting to see where it was going to go. If more people like big name white people were going to jump on board for this Spotify issue. Joe Rogan, who no one expected to like apologize, kind of sort of did apologize. I want to say on Monday morning, was it Sunday night or Monday morning? He came out and was like, so, hey, let me pull it up real quick. Joe Rogan, Spotify, apology. I want to make sure I'm accurate here. Oh, wait, what did The Rock do? So this was yesterday. I'm a guest that, that Spotify called Joe Rogan and was like, yo, bro, we four billion down. You got to do something like address this or we got to pull your shit. So Joe Rogan comes out. He says, quote, I want to thank Spotify for being so supportive during this time. And I'm very sorry that this is happening to them and that they're taking so much heat from it. He also apologized to Neil Young and Joni Mitchell. I'm reading this on CNBC. Um, His apology came in a 10 minute long video posted on Instagram. Rogan said, quote, I'm not trying to promote misinformation. I'm not trying to be controversial. I've never tried to do anything with this podcast other than just talk to people. He said, quote, I do all the scheduling myself and I don't always get it right. I think it's worth noting that after Joe Rogan apologized, The Rock said his apology was great stuff and Trevor Noah called his apology classy. I like The Rock and I like Trevor Noah. This is about to come back and bite them in the ass. So India Ari has also asked that her music be pulled from Spotify and it has nothing to do with this COVID bullshit. It has to do with Joe Rogan talking about Michael Eric Dyson. This is even more complicated. So Joe Rogan had this guest on I can't remember the name of the guest. It's not a name that you would know. Joe Rogan asked the guest, he said, Michael Eric Dyson referred to you as an angry white man. And the guy goes on to talk about how he's not sure why he was called white when really he's tan. You know what? I might need to find that quote. Let me back up. I'm reading this from ladbible.com. And I know, I don't know really what this site is, but I've seen the video clip. And I just want to read you the quotes accurately. So the guy that Joe Rogan was speaking to was psychologist Jordan Peterson. And Joe Rogan asked the guy, Michael Eric Dyson called you a mean, angry white man. And then the guy says something about his whiteness. And he was like, you know, white is such a weird word because actually like I'm tan. And so then this guy goes on to say that Michael Eric Dyson is actually not black and he's more brown. 
And he says, the black and white thing is so strange because the shades are so, there's such a spectrum of shades of people. This is when it gets batshit. Rogan says, quote, unless you're talking to someone who is like 100% African from the darkest place where they're not wearing any clothes all day and they've developed all that melanin to protect themselves from the sun. Even the term black is weird. And when you use it for people that are strangely my color, tan, it becomes very strange. You don't believe me. Do you believe me that this was said? What did Michael Prejudice. Dyson call you an, a mean, mean angry an, white mean, man? Yeah, and and a mean angry white man. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah, yeah. You're not mean at all. Yeah, yeah. That's what's dumb about that statement. It's you're not mean at all. It's I uh, am white. Actually, that's a lie too. <laughs> I'm kind of tan, and he was actually not black. You're tan, he was what sort the of fuck brown. Because I'm I'm darker than you. Yeah, yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. But neither of us are white. Well, I'm Italian. And mostly. he was brown, not black. Well, isn't that weird? Yeah, it's this, really the, the weird. The black and white thing is so strange yeah, because like the shades are so... Tan and brown. There's such a spectrum of shades of people. Unless you're talking to someone who is like 100% African from the darkest place where they're not wearing any clothes all day and they've developed all that melanin to protect themselves from the sun. You know, it's, even the term black is weird. It's a, it's a, and when you use it for people that are literally my color, it becomes very strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? This is true. The person saying like the, the deepest, darkest parts of Africa, that's Joe Rogan. That's not his guest. That's Rogan. Okay. So Don Lemon got wind of this and he invited Michael Eric Dyson to come on his show, which Michael Eric Dyson, professor, he's a theologian. He's an author. He is an amazing orator. The English major in me gets excited when he speaks because of his illusions and his alliterations. So he and Don Lemon discussed this segment on Don Lemon's show. Take a listen. Michael Eric Dyson, professor of African-American diaspora studies at Vanderbilt University, joins me now. He's the author of Entertaining Race, Performing Blackness in America. Hello, professor. Is it really that perplexing to people that black America exists in all kinds of shades? Uh, that doesn't change the black experience in America. Not at all. Thank you for having me, uh, Brother Don. You know, uh, you would hope they were joking, because if they weren't, this uh, exposes the vast lethal ignorance at the heart of so much whiteness, whether intentional or not. Um, we all know that black is not a phenotypical reality. We're not talking about a genetic predisposition toward darker skin. We're speaking about an existential context. We're talking about a philosophical idea. We're speaking about rooted cultures in deep histories that have vast traditions that have generated complicated identities. And we know that blackness in terms of its identity ranges from vanilla vitality to chocolate charm and all, all ranges in between. So it's not about shade. It's not about um, a kind of inherited characteristic of race, race is, as we've been arguing in school, and I would advise Dr. Peterson and Brother Rogan to take a class. When we talk about race as a social construct, what we're saying is it's not about a biological determinism, it's about an inherited set of beliefs that depend upon a society to imbue it with meaning. And therefore, it's not simply about who you are, your skin color, your hair, your shade and tone. Now, while they unsuccessfully challenged my blackness, they damn sure proved their whiteness, indifferent to history, oblivious to truth, 
and indifferent to reality. Happy Black History Month, y'all. That's the episode for this week. We'll be back on Friday with more Ratchet and Respectable. If you have not picked up your merchandise for Ratchet and Respectable, please do. I would suggest you get it now. DemetriaLLucas.com Okay, bye. <laughs>